Sagabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Hello and welcome to Sega Talk episode number 66. Six. I'm your host, George, and with me is my demonic sidekick, Barry. Well, I mean, it's episode 66, six, right. right? Oh, right, okay, yeah. Well, when Almost. we get to 666, six, six, then we're really demonic. Yeah, right now we're just like baby demonic. We're like level one. Mm-hmm. When we get to 666, six, six, level 66, I don't know. And if you guys are listening to this, if you guys like listening to us Babylon every week about Sega games, you keep the show going by dropping us a tip on Patreon for as low as $1. You can have your memories read about every single classic Sega game we talk about on the end of the episode, making mm-hmm. you immortal. Technically immortal. Technically, I guess. Uh, this episode was picked by our Patreon Tyler picker. and Picker, yes, and that's a tier we have, and you guys can check out all our tiers on patreon.com slash Sagabits, and since he picked this this episode, he gets to read his memories before our memories, so I'll let yes. you read them, Barry, in his voice. Oh, in his <laughs> voice? Through me. Through me. Through okay, you. let me, let, me let him possess me. The, the spirit of Tyler is entering me. Oh, hello. A bit embarrassing to admit, but Valkyria Chronicles was my introduction to Sega-made RPGs. I've always been a bit late to Sega's various efforts, but I couldn't have been more appreciative of their work on Valkyria. While I'm a fan of strategy RPGs, Sega's spin on the genre is one of the most refreshing to date and opened my eyes to just how incredible the developer's can be at putting their own spin on the genre, even as recently with Yakuza Like a Dragon. The stamina-based movement is genius, the world it displays is brilliant, and the visuals are a delight. While the series may struggle to find a larger audience it deserves, I'm grateful of Valkyria Chronicles for introducing me to a host of fantastic Sega RPGs. And that's Tyler's comments and i should just do a little shout out we did have a new patreon okay. uh at, at a similar tier at, uh that can also pick games and even retro reviews so that'll be interesting uh bobbert so i just wanted to thank him as well so we'll see what he picks maybe maybe they're just gonna like bombard us with valkyria games and they're like do two do three oh do revolution i could do two i think <laughs> it's an interesting game that like I don't know. Uh, looking back at it, it's one of the games where like I reviewed and I was like, I should have been more critical about it, but my fanboyism right. from this game. And you know what? When I looked back and did research on this game, I was yeah. actually shocked at how many people were so positive about Valkyrie Chronicles 2. I mean, I was looking at old articles while I was doing research and they were like, Valkyrie Chronicles 2 is on PSP, but better than the first one. And I'm like, I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, even if... I gave it a positive review. Even on my review, I was like, it's not as good as the first one. But <laughs> what? So, Barry, what is your history with Valkyria Chronicles? What did you think when you first saw it? And what do you think now over 12 years after release? Yeah. So, of course, Valkyria Chronicles debuted on the PS3. I was not a PS3 boy. I was an Xbox 360 boy. And, um, you know, geez, Sega Bits now 10 years old. 
I'm thinking back to those early days of the site where we had a lot of people who were like either Xbox or PlayStation and there wasn't really any feuding. It was just like, you know, we were all 10 years younger. We couldn't afford both consoles at the time. Um, and there were the, you know, Xbox guys got the uh, best version of Bayonetta. They got some exclusives, you know, things like that. The PlayStation guys, they got Yakuza. They got Valkyria Chronicles. And so it was like, you know, it, it was a give and take. Um, so for me, I was sitting by the sidelines. I'd see the pictures. I'd read the reviews. I'd look at the videos. For me, though, the very first Valkyria thing I owned was this. And I don't know who gave it to me, but this is from PAX 2010. It's a pin set from Valkyria Chronicles 2. Do you have this? Yeah, I think I sent it to you. Maybe you sent this to me, yeah. And it's uh, it's cool, but I was like, oh, wow. How would you think that's worth for... you? Th- <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, hey guys, we're doing a giveaway. No, I'm not no. giving this away. But uh it's 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 cute. Um but this was actually PSP, correct? The yes, sequel. PSP. PSP. Right. And so you know, I I didn't know much at the time, but I did know that it was a very uneven franchise to jump from console to um, you know, like handheld and then back to console and then it really kind of came full circle because then Valkyria Chronicles Remastered came out, and that was really my introduction to the series because I could finally own it. I've since gotten it on PC as well. Um, so, yeah, know, this is uh, it's, one of those games where I own multiple times. I have kind of a history for it. This is one of the games where, like, I was a PlayStation hater for a long time, you know? This is what kind of made me, like, turn my... Uh, kind of turned my opinion on the console i thought it was overpriced you know um when the 360 first came out i think like the first three years or two years they did really Mm -hmm. really good they had these like really cool jrpgs and they really won me over with like uh what's that lost odyssey i think the one where the guy that's immortal and then they had that uh they had the guy from dragon ball do the art for uh blue dragon all that kind of stuff i was really excited for but then like Microsoft changed more Western and I don't think it was just them. I think everyone during this time period was like, everything needs to be like years of war. It needs to be Brown bloom. And then all of a sudden Sega's like, yeah, we're releasing a cell shaded or a watercolor looking SRPG. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's that. Oh, I, I went and saw the game uh, during Sega day in 2007, I want to say, or 2008. So a long time ago, you know, I'm that old. So I, <laughs> I remember this is the first time I ever went to like a uh, real press event with people like, you know, the guys from G4 and stuff also there to look at games. And when I saw this game, that's all I needed to see. Like I needed a PS4 after that. I mean a PS3 after that because there's just no game that I've ever seen Sega make quite like this. I guess I would say the last time I actually it wasn't even that long before this like Orta made me feel the same way about the Xbox where or Future. When you saw Future and Orta, you're like, right, I need an Xbox now because this is the Sega stuff I like, right? Uh, that's right. Kind of what about uh, what about Gun Valkyrie, the unofficial <laughs> spinoff? <laughs> Sounds similar. Oh, the yeah. the Square Enix game, right? For the handheld. No, no, no. The um, the the uh, smile bit. Oh, one. the smile bit one. Sorry, man. There's so many that no one remembers. Games. Yeah, that no one remembers. Yeah. The one with the weird controllers. Yes. Yeah. Okay, that one I wasn't too hyped about, obviously. But come on, Future and Orta, those two games, and then they did uh, House of the Dead three and all that stuff. Great. Uh, Absolutely. Their support for Xbox is so good. So, 
So let's talk about some of the introduction to this game and some development history. Sega isn't a stranger when it comes to SRPG franchises. I mean, this is kind of considered a... Uh, I didn't put it in the notes, but Sakura Wars, it's supposed to be considered a spiritual successor to it. Um, so basically, it says right here um, that... Sega was basically notable in this space since they did Shining Force in 2000, in 1992. And I actually did some research and I thought, man, maybe maybe Shining Force 2 is the first, uh, like, I, th I always thought that Fire Emblem and th those guys did the first SRPGs, but I was looking into it and it's like, mm. they go all the way back up to like 82. So Sega came in a decade later. I, I would assume Shining Force, maybe they made another one before this, but I think Shining Force is the most notable SRPG they, they made. Uh, and then they made Dragon Force and Sakura Wars, which I think has the most aspects from like that carry over to this game sakura wars right. is probably the number one um so it's sort of but sort of like sort of after that and sort of after the dreamcast sega's kind of didn't really care too much about the genre and it seemed like it was dead for a long time sega would even go on to reboot shining games to be more real-time combat instead of uh srpgs that they were known for it's why in 2008, when Sega was knee-deep in licenses and more Western-centric fo focused repeats, it was a big shocker for everyone that they were coming back to SRPGs. But not only that, that they were going to be doing a AAA brand-new game. Even though at the time, it looked like big-budget big SRPGs were like never going to be a thing. Like Even Fire Emblem on GameCube is very low-budget if you ever play it, mm -hmm. so... So yeah, and so this was created by Sega's Global Entertainment R&D Department Number Two. Like we talked about in the last podcast, some of these Sega uh, teams sound <laughs> like robots, and this is another yeah. one of those uh, teams. <laughs> this team made up of Sega WoW staff who were known for Sakura Wars Five, Nightshade, and even Typing of the Dead Zombie Panic on the PS2, which is kind of a port from the Dreamcast one. I've never played this one. Have you played the one? I didn't even know they had a typing game on the PS2. I didn't know either, but then again, that happened a lot on the PS2. You'd get, like, Seaman, you know, on the oh, yeah. PS2. Or so. they have Crazy Taxi, too, like another one you don't hear people talk about. Like, I refuse to try. I refuse. No. Yeah, is it is it is it bad or something? I just, it feels wrong. Yeah, I, I, I always felt like that was a, a huge, like, uh, everyone I, I talk about it, they're always like, oh, I played it on Dreamcast. I don't know. I've never heard anyone go, I played it on PS2. Same but with the uh, eighteen wheeler. Same, yeah, that's a good game. Yeah. Um, uh, the team that did VC One, uh, Valkyrie Chronicles One, would later merge with Sega CS Three, which would go on to co-develop basically every single game ever released at Sega. So like, they worked on Seventh Dragon, they worked on Planum Games games with them, they worked on mm -hmm. Thunder Force Four to Six. And then they would later on go on to make uh, Fantasy Star Zero and Fantasy and uh -huh, Valkyrie Chronicles Two. Yes. So uh, while in the past, uh, as Sega fans, these teams would work on few titles, but during the late two thousands, games got bigger, so Sega would have to use teams to like contribute to other projects. So they would never make their own game for like a long period of time. As a mm -hmm. Sega fan, did you notice that these like a team like CS Three was just basically? Uh, co-developing games basically i would assume like outs they're like the outsourcing studio you know it was it was hard to know at the time just because they stripped all the teams of their 
unique I, names. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we didn't have Smile Bit. We didn't have Wow. You'd really have to have your finger on the pulse of like fandom and visit fan sites like Sega Bits at the time to be like, who's working on this? Because, I mean, I, I think a lot of the fun in our little chats on our Discord and on the message boards and stuff. Um, is when a new game's def- announced, we're like, oh, who's working on it? And then we we kind of dig in and are like, oh, wow. So like like a game like uh, Rise of Nightmares, that would mm. just come and go if you weren't really paying attention. But when you see that it's from people who worked on Jet Set Radio, you're like, oh, well, that's interesting. And House of the Dead, you're like, oh, okay, it's got a little DNA of that. So um, yeah, I, I didn't really notice though that that a team like this would be contributing to so many, so many titles. Um, and I think it's a shame because I, I do like now that they're giving studios a little more of that, uh, like the Yakuza studio has their own Twitter account. Um, I honestly, I think Sonic team should have their own American Twitter account. I don't know why they don't, I think it would be cool. But then again, the Sonic account has that. So yeah. And it, and it has a million followers. So it's like Sonic team ever made, (laughs) another ip i i hope they like really do use the fact that they have that sonic account and sonic fans and they use that to promote that directly to them because i think it's yeah sonic team's making another ip they have to appeal to sonic fans basically i mean that's just how it is absolutely Um, so valkyrie chronicles is a very unique game uh not only for the srpg genre but also as in sega's catalog there isn't Anything else that they created that's quite like it, uh, you'll have to thank the creators of the game. This game was created by Ryutaro Nonoka Nonaka, and Mm -hmm. Shintaro Tanaka. And uh, uh, Shintaro Nonaka, well, well, let me talk about Nonaka first. So it's Tanaka and Nonaka. I mean, can you imagine mm. going in the office? You're on Nonaka and Tanaka are the bosses, right? And Yuji Naka visits from time of course, to time. Sometime, and then everyone's confused. No one knows who's doing what. The Naka brothers. Yeah. <laughs> wow, yeah. The, the triplets, <laughs> the Bash twins, you know, from uh, D2. <laughs> no, Ta. Uh, the Bash brothers. And... There you go. That's what it was called. <laughs> a... uh, <laughs> uh, so, Nonaka was uh, listed as creator, but he served as producer in actual, you know, credits. And mm-hmm. his role was he worked on Soccer Wars, uh, the SRPG franchises, obviously. Uh, they got a lot of inspiration from, especially since they have anime characters and all that. Tanaka, on the other hand, was chief director for Valkyrie Chronicles and and also worked on Sakura Wars as a planner. But he is mostly known as a legendary director of Skies of Arcadia, which we did a mm-hmm. whole episode on. Sega Talk number 42, and you could probably hit somewhere on this video and get the note, and you could watch that video somewhere. If you guys love Skies of Arcadia and you want to hear us talk about that, um, it was a pretty good episode, so a lot more uh, pirate love in that one. So, <laughs> this is one of those times that Sega hired people that worked on our past favorite franchises that we love, but they decided to make a brand new IP. Which uh, worked out this time. Sometimes it doesn't work out. They'll make a new IP and then it's like Rhythm Thief. Hey, who? what happened mm-hmm. to that game? Um, back in the day, uh, I mean, there's a lot of Sega fans that really dislike that. Like, They're like, why is, this, why is the team that did Skies of Arcadia making 7th Dragon? Why aren't they making oh. uh, Skies of Arcadia 2? So in your opinion, uh, 
how how do you feel about teams doing this and Sega like uh, like uh, Sonic Team wanting to make Billy Hatcher instead of just making a mighty game or something? Right. I mean, I, I feel like at the time, ten years ago, a little over ten years ago, um, we were kind of spoiled. <laughs> like uh, we didn't know that years from then we would not be seeing new IPs like ever. That's why something like judgment was so surprising. It's like, Oh wait, this is not Yakuza judge man, you know, or something like that. Um, <laughs> judge eyes. And so, it's called judge Japan. eyes. Yeah, exactly. And even then it had a tenuous connection. It was still in the Yakuza universe with very, very subtle crossovers. But like here, um, the canvas engine, the, the art style, the characters, it was all, completely unique there was nothing really like it i mean maybe sakura wars but even then it was it was much more like uh battle and war oriented honestly it had more in common with some of the uh real-time strategy pc games that sega europe were developing Mm. um then and now and so i could see why people would be upset but in my opinion um you know where i come from as a fan I like it when teams are allowed to make new IPs because as evidence, like this blew up and now it's a beloved franchise. Um, of course, we've also seen ones that didn't blow up like Billy Hatcher or, yeah. you know, not to put cast any shade on judgment, but you know, the jury's out on that. No pun intended They're in terms of it They're continuing. Yeah. There is a remake, but you know what I mean? Like that might be it. It might be one and done, which is not bad. I mean, binary domain did that too, but there's an example of, of a game one. that went nowhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think now we should just be happy that the creatives are making what they want to make. I, I don't feel like Sega Corporate was like, make a game that's watercolors and set in the past in a real time strategy game, you know? Um, so, but uh, I much yeah. prefer that to them being forced, you know, to make a sequel. Um, or or it, you, you put down Shining Force here. Like, I wouldn't want Shining Force because these guys don't have anyone who worked on that work on it you know what i mean like it, mm-hmm. it, i feel like they might see that as disrespectful if anything if you look back even like the dreamcast era um yeah there was a lot of sega fans that disliked this aspect of sega right where they would make new ips but like i always tell them like jet set radio wouldn't exist shimmy wouldn't exist uh right. like a lot of franchises on the dreamcast that became cult classics wouldn't exist if sega just made streets of rage 4 golden axe 4 uh sonic you know sonic the hedgehog 4 or whatever like right. sonic adventure became what it was because they did it all from the beginning but at the same time you could also change a genre like if they really wanted to they could have made a like sonic the hedgehog themed srpg kind of like i mean fantasy star online for example is well, a dreamcast you know we we kind of got that because we got Valkyria Revolution and then we and got the new Sakura Wars, which swat, switched places, you know? Yeah, yeah, This yeah, is, yeah. you know, so um, it's it's not unheard of. But then again, how often does that do well? Like, is that is that a good thing? Who knows? I think they, this is a, a very necessary time. I think what makes Sega so unique sometimes is their unique IPs, like... The fact that they'll try something brand new even though they technically don't have to. Like, they could have just made another Sakura War Games right right here and just said, all right, let's play it safe and uh, try to make a right. watercolor version of a Sakura War Games and sell it as an anime with merch. Bam. Mm-hmm. But I like that they did something new, and I like Sega that, you know, that they do that. So 
Some old fans might not like it, and I, I also love old games, so it's kind of this weird thing, right? It's a double-edged sword. If you do it right, people love it. If you do it badly, people hate you. It's true. One of the big things Sega used to market the game uh, was that it was unlike past SRPGs. Valkyrie Chronicles gave you full control of the character in third-person combat where you would aim shots. Um, but the game didn't start life like this. According to producer and co-creator Nonaka, the game actually started as a regular tactical RPG. He says, The first time that we made this game, it was actually a regular tactical RPG. We didn't have the grid from the start, but a top-down map, and we worked on that. And then after we played the initial build, we realized that it didn't express what we wanted to communicate in the game which is having the player identify with the characters in the game. Thus, they had to make it third person so you could like feel like you're the character. So, mm -hmm. uh, do you think that Sega, the thing that, uh, do you think the team at Sega did an actual good job with making you care about these characters in these games by giving them I guess they later on we'll talk more about it, but they gave them little personality traits and mm -hmm. gave them a little little anime like uh, sometimes people at the time were saying they just copied anime characters they liked and they wrote them into characters. But I'm like, cool. I mean, no other SRPG that I remember does that kind of writing where their, you know, their personalities determine their gameplay or where you could bring them into and all that little thing. Right. So, now, in the game, though, when they died, they died. They didn't come back. If you didn't survive, if you didn't like make a plan to uh, rescue them, they would die. Right. Die the minor characters. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, another game I could think of um, is Shenmue, where you go through that strategy guide and it has all these characters with little backstories. And as you play the game, you come to care about them. Now imagine in Shenmue if people just started dying, and you're like, oh, you'll never see Tom again. <laughs> oh you no! Know, like... No, not Tom. <laughs> yeah, and I'll, so I'll talk about that's it what later. this kind of did. I yeah. really like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think they did a good job. But yeah, let's talk about the story and the setting in the game. Um, mm -hmm. Personally, to me, the story and setting for Valkyrie Chronicles is unique. It obviously takes notes from World War One and Two, but makes its own unique anime world. For example, the game takes place in Europa, which is supposed to be Europe. And it takes place in 1935, where uh, the neutral nation of Gallia, which is under the East... Uh, well, it's under attack from the East Imper uh, European Imperial Alliance because mm -hmm. the country has a, uh, a, a, a access amount of ragnite ore, which can be refined as fuel to continue the war machine. Um, mm -hmm. So you obviously are the Galleon heroes who are trying to save your town from these invaders. Uh, what is your opinion on Sega taking aspects of World War II? And I, some of the, uh, the guns and stuff were more World War I based. But mm -hmm. the setting is World War II, so they kind of took the weapons from one war and they like put the uh, the setting of the other war. Uh, can you think of any other games that kind of try to take real world history that you've played and do some sort of like unique fantasy world? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't think it it happens too often. I mean, heck, in uh, like movies and superhero movies, everything's always contemporary, which is why when like. Something like Wonder Woman, which I just recently rewatched, which takes place around, you know, this era, um, mm -hmm. is so unique. People are like, oh, my God, a superhero movie set in the 1930s or 1980s. And like uh, so, and the same goes for video games. Everything's always current. Um, I've actually, you know, I've uh, 
I guess infamously, because people get really pissed off when I bring it up, have said that I want a Jet Set Radio sequel that takes place in the 1960s, Japan. Oh, oh yeah, you have. I just think, I just think that would be fun, like tube TVs and like doo-wop music and stuff. I mean, it would be quirky and goofy, and I think this kind of proves that those sorts of things can work. Um, as far as like games that tried to do something like this, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm coming up blank. I can't think... I mean, the of, easy one would be like Assassin's Creed or maybe the Val- the yeah. Viking one that Sega made where it had like Viking. magic. Yeah. yeah. If I'm thinking just Sega games, Viking would probably come to mind. Um, but yeah, even then it's like, it's it's not true history, but it's kind of like, I don't know, like a fictional history <laughs> that really takes a lot of, um, uh, you know, liberties with what actually happened. So... Um, so. Yeah, I was going to say the the next part we're going to talk about is a little sensitive. Um, I'll talk about it and I'll tell you what kind of people were saying at the time. Um, okay, I'll turn off my mic so I don't make any jokes. Okay, now nah, you can, you can no, make, just I mean, if you make jokes, I don't know, man. It's going to be kind of edgy. But Valkyrie Chronicles yeah. also has a Jewish race known as the Darksons. Which to be on the time I was like, did they just call it Dark Skins? And then I, and then I listened and I was like, all right. We good, but anyway, who in the world of uh, Valkyrie Chronicle are hated because they are blamed for the dark Darkson calamity, which is mm. an accepted history where Darksons inhabited Europa, dis- destroying mi- hundreds of cities and murdering millions of humans and animals. Uh, the whole race conflict is played out in the game with Rosie and I- Isara's relationship, and uh, as we find out that most people don't trust Darksons. Uh, mm-hmm. And that uh, they have been uh, subjugated, ex- exiled from their lands, rounded up into camps, basically. So they're the Jewish race, but they're like played out as a different race in here. Lots mm. of topics that uh, lots of topics that uh, that clashed. I, I would say that these kind of like weird like uh, racial issues kind of clash with the way that the game looks. It has like really bright, beautiful graphics. You're gonna think that. You guys are all these young guys going to war with no conflicts that you guys are just going to overcome it with friendship. But mm-hmm. I feel like they did a really good job handling this story, in my opinion. But people don't feel that way. So you tell me what you think. So I went back um, and read. Yeah. Oh, well, I was going to finish the just, the just the conflict and how it ends because people did not like the, con- the conclusion they came up with. So yeah. when I went back and read some forums and topics on this and the Darson story that was uh, with Rosie... The, the racist in your team uh it's like a it has like a resolution right you guys go to this concentration camp uh it is destroyed millions of dark a, a lot of darksons are killed off screen and the survivors basically ask i guess for people to stop hating on them you know stop being racist for just who they are and how they're born and mm-hmm. this isara the sister of uh, gunther basically tells everyone to turn the other cheek very like christ-like fashion and i guess people online did not like that they said it was a cop-out saying that you should never just let people insult you and in, uh based on your race you know how some people get very like you should be punching mm-hmm. i don't know force people mm-hmm. but she was the kind-hearted girl st- anime stereotype the jesus like she's the one that's prosecuted no matter how many people prosecute she tries to find the best in people so it would make sense it's very Martin Luther King, right? That they kind of uh, made her, where it was mm. like peaceful protest, peaceful this or whatever. 
So, uh, what do you think? Like, do you think that being Christ-like in the face of racism is the thing? Or do you think it's like people are reading way too much into this video game? Um, well, I... So, you had brought up that there was a calamity. Is that factual or was it manufactured to get people to hate them? <laughs> manufactured. Okay, so, you know, when, when I visited, uh, I mean, not to get too weighty, but when I visited D.C. and went to the Holocaust Museum, um, there was a, uh, like an exhibit where you could learn about the lies that the Nazi Party would tell in the years leading up to World War I and World War II, um, where they would cultivate this hatred for the, the Jewish people and so I'm definitely seeing that sort of thing here, um, where it's just kind of like you're you're born hated, you're born with this this sin that is based on a lie. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean, it's it is very heavy stuff to put in a video game, but I think it's important to put this in here because if you are going to be doing an alternate universe sort of take on World War One and World War Two. Uh, to strip out some of the most important elements of it, I think would be a disservice to just make the whole game be about this Ragnite ore and be like, oh, it was all about ore, you know? Yeah. Like, um, now, having said that, I, I mean, again, this is, what is this, rated T. So, you know, I, I think they're playing for a teenage and an, almost an all-ages audience. Uh, I don't think kids would pick this up anyway, even if it was rated E, just because of the gameplay style. But, you know, I, I think it's important for games to have important messages. Uh, we just came off of recording two episodes about D&D 2. I think Kenji Ino yeah. put a lot of important messages in his games. And I don't know what his thoughts would be on this game, but I'm sure he would be all for those sorts of things to be in it. Um, I also, I think it's interesting that that's what people were kind of upset about when... Yeah. Valkyria Chronicles 4 hit, we had a character that people were upset about because they were sexist. And um, there's, some, there's some of that in this game, too. Uh, I think For sure, but it's I also of the era kinda, and also characters change and grow. That's all I was going to say. Yeah, you know, like, I was gonna you say can't look that, at the first act and then be like, well, that guy's an asshole. This game sucks. You know? <laughs> like, I agree. And I think they do this whole, like, I'll tell you, when we talk about the, the main cast, I'll... Some of the characters are kind of like they have different like the the guy that's like I don't really like dark skins but I also don't hate them they're just like I rather I just don't trust them like the passive racist person you know and they have mm-hmm. like different levels Rosie's the most extreme kind where she's like openly racist to the people right and like right away is like I don't want anything to do with this but I think it's like the X Men like the mutants right like are we gonna go right. back and cancel the X Men a little. Uh, Come on, guys. I mean, the the message is positive. You shouldn't be doing violence against people. But the world's gotten so extreme now that... Uh... But anyway, let's talk about the graphics and art of this game. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> Valkyria... That sounds more positive. But uh, Valkyria yeah. Chronicles' biggest hype during its release was the Canvas engine that Sega developed for the game. According to the press release way back from 2008, the engine was developed by Sega Game Studios Japan to make 3D graphics resemble a watercolor painting in motion that takes full advantage of the PS3's processing capabilities. Remember that when Sony was like, oh, we have the best processor of all time. It's blue, it's small, mm-hmm. 
it, it, it has a Blu-ray player, maybe. Um, and it could do emotions. Um, which is funny to hear nowadays. When I was reading the press release, it really made me forget how important engines used to be for companies. For example, Sonic had the Hedgehog engine. Remember that hype? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Regard- yeah, regardless... It really did seem that uh, the watercolor painting was a unique, was really unique, especially uh, during the later 2000s where more games were getting more realistic, more brown, more bloom graphics. Even Zelda, the Twilight Princess game, had very like bloom and like uh, more like saturated colors. Uh, so it was really weird time. And then Sega comes out with this game that looks amazingly beautiful and colorful like a cartoon. So mm-hmm. that was kind of weird. Uh, so what are your thoughts on the graphics of Valkyrie Chronicles? Are you shocked that the canvas in- look did not take take like off the way that like Cell Shaded took off after Jet Set Radio? Yeah, I thought the graphics were beautiful. I think it was what really makes the game stand out. I also think it kind of s- removes you from the conflict and the realism a little bit in a, in a good way because you are almost looking at a painting that's like a memory of a past event come to life mm. rather than looking at like through a camera lens. Um, you know, like some of the most brutal World War II movies are like in black and white, which almost strips the story a little bit of the realism because you're not seeing the vivid colors and it, it reminds you that you're watching a fictional event or a fictional media of a real event. So I think... Had this game just been straight up graphics, like, you know, your, I guess to borrow a British slang, like your bog standard old, you know, 2008 graphics, it would be boring. Uh, it would just look like a, uh, anime game. <laughs> yeah. And there's like even, uh, Gears of War game that kind of plays like this where it's like uh third person and it's like, but it's Gears graphics um, mm-hmm. I don't know if people played it. It's called Gears Wars Tactics. It's, it's fine. It's a fine game. I like. I enjoyed it. I played a little bit of it. It was fine. But, like, I don't know. It's just something about this game, those graphics and, like, characters and the designs that just give it that unique aspect to it. And I obviously am a big fan of the Canvas Engine. That's what sold me on this game. Like, just visually, I was like, oh, Sega's back to doing unique stuff again like this. So mm-hmm. um, Let's talk about the designer, which... At the time, uh, I would get into conversations about this, so I guess we'll talk about it a little bit. But all right, I, I don't know if you remember, but back when the game was first announced, a lot of people talked about Sega hiring a Japanese artist known as Riata Riata. I don't know his real mm-hmm. like R A I T A, who uh, designed the very unique look of the not only the characters but the uniforms, the tank, and the rest of the world that he accompanies. So uh, I'm going to put up a little thing on the video. Uh, That's some of his uh, personal art that he does. Uh, He self-publishes, obviously. uh, What are they called? Dojin. He's a Dojin artist where he self-publishes his own work. Uh, He he has something called like a series that got popular called Katawaya Sojo, which is Mm -hmm. translated to Disability Girls in English, where they got their start because they posted concept art on a 4chan and it gained traction on 4chan, so they made it into a full series. If you if you hmm. Google the web the the website, you could download a video game based on this. Uh, are they manga. disabled? Yeah, one of them, a few of them are disabled. Yes, they're oh, sexy. I see. I didn't put any. This is just the cover that I put on the video. If you guys are looking at it, but if you guys go on the website, you could download the PDFs 
it's just basically porn. I'm gonna be honest with oh, you. I was looking well, through it. It's just it's, here. Pause the show. I'm gonna read. Pause the show. Uh, and all of a sudden we cut, and and you're all like, just like we're all different, wearing different clothes. Anyway, um, okay, um, yeah. So, <laughs> the, it has a, a lot of adult content, not just a little bit. And it's a free to play game. If you guys want to play it. It seems that people at the time made a bigger deal about this on forums, uh, really gained traction, saying that Sega was basically hiring porn artists. Uh, I remember a few uh, Japanese stories kind of uh, giving the naughty naughty to Sega for this, but uh, Valkyria producer Nonaka talked about this, about hiring him. He said, this game has a very strong military feel and sense to it, but it is not mm -hmm. just realistic. It, it has a lot of fantasy aspects to it as well we were looking for someone who understands the realism of the of the military field but also understood how to incorporate fantasy into it that's the type of a designer that we were looking for i read through his comics and was amazed at how he can incorporate lies to create a very realistic world for example you're seeing tires instead of caterpillars on tanks Obviously, that wasn't so back then, but we he can make those type of lies and make it seem very real. We wanted his talents of creating something that's unreal and making it realistic, making uh, making that become real. So we went and pers persuaded him to join us. So this is obviously a big deal to them. They wanted this artist. Obviously, this story that he's done, the disabled girls, doesn't show off his character design skills of military... Um, but uh, do you care that companies would hire artists that self-published work in the past with some questionable sexual situations? And is there any graphic design work that you've made in your free time that your current employer would disagree with? <laughs> Sorry, I'm and reading these these uh, the the story disability girls. I'm looking. At, you, if you're looking at the video, you can see them reflection in my glasses. It's very pervy. Um, you know, I have no problem with that at all because artists, more often than not, they're going to have something perv pervy in their past. Uh, I mean, I I mean so what's too. pervy? Because, you know, like if you're a trained artist, especially if you're doing figure drawings, you're going to be drawing nudity. You're going to be oh, drawing yeah. the naked figure if it's sexual or not. Um, and then when it comes learn. to people who's... Mm -hmm, you got to learn how to draw the human body, basically, to be. Well, oh, exactly, yeah, and and if you are doing like video game work and pop culture stuff, more often than not, you've probably drawn, you know, uh, <laughs> Rule Thirty Four stuff la. or something. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, as far as like stuff I've made that I employers would get mad at, I don't really know. Um, <laughs> I think Nothing. if anything. I hid a lot of the Segavit stuff, um, especially in my early years, just because I thought people would go, oh, video games? That's weird. Don't kids like those? You know? Um, and, and the funny you put thing it in is. Your profile? In your profile? Well, the, fun the funny thing is, when I got on LinkedIn, I added Segavits to it, and I guess everyone who followed me got a notification saying I started a job at Segavits. And so when I was in the elevator, my, like the, my boss's boss was like, are you moving to another company or you going somewhere i'm like what why i saw like a sega bits like company that you're working for now and i was like so embarrassed because i was like you no like, i it's it's a fan site i just put it on oh my god and so i deleted it oh <laughs> uh, you should have told them 
I don't know. They've been pro- pro- they they say they like my design work. We're just talking, no big deal. I mean, I I just need a couple <laughs> bucks on the side, and then he's like, you know, right. we'll, we'll give you a raise. But no. like, I I would say, um, like, imagine if Tyson he's or Hess uh, mm. was fired or never got the job because of his racy Sonic art. Like, sorry, but the guy's awesome at what he does. You know, yeah. and it seems like Sega weren't like, um, you made like everyone look like complete morons, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was funny that people cared about this. I remember a lot of people saying, but he came from 4chan and 4chan are just like degenerates. And it's like, cool, right. somebody posted. So it's like if you made a saucy artwork or something and then someone just shared it on 4chan and then it made you popular and people were like, Oh, so you love 4chan? It's like no, I don't like 4chan, but they're making me money, so I guess in a way, I guess right. they're fine. I mean, they're gonna do what they do, right? Right. Whatever. I think people just make a big deal out of it. Uh, I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but he is the artist, and you guys should check out Disability Girls if you guys want to. I found the naked book. I found it. <laughs> you found it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, he likes big boobs, as you could tell. Um, it's not bad. I mean, the art's not bad. It's different artists, no. though. It's not just his, yeah, right? Yeah, it's not him. But he was the character designer behind the characters for that series. I see. Okay. So just, okay, so ge- now let's go into gameplay, which we're going to be here all day tonight. Uh, not all day, but now I lost my spot, so great. Okay. Well, let just me live how- stream looking at these <laughs> pervy pictures. We, we could do, a, we could do a, a Sega News Bits on us live reading. Sega Bits After Dark. After Dark, there you go. AO, rated AO. Just how the graphics engine had its own name, Sega also used the marketing word Blitz, which uh, stood for Battle of Live Tactical Zones for its battle engine. The game Uh. starts with a live overhead view of the map called Command Mode, which is basically like, you know, it kind of looks like Shoji, they said, in in the thing they were inspired by it with little tokens. Where mm-hmm. they give you the little, you know, the map where they give you the little, yep. I actually have a picture of it on for the video, sorry. Where they give you uh, every single unit you could get. Uh, the game limits, uh, let me see. The game starts with the live uh, command mode. You can pick a character which is marked as an icon on the map. It will zoom into real-time graphics where when you control the character in action mode. The game limits you on how far you can move your character depending on his stats or classes. By the uh, And also you could do action points, but... They have a little gas meter on the bottom, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Which is not like traditional SRPGs. Um, while we re- re- uh, we we read the quote where he talked about the game uh, starting off as a typical SRPG, the producer did let slip that the game never featured a grid-based combat design, which is kind of bread and butter for these games. But mm-hmm. uh, it, it was revolved around action points and action movements. Personally, uh, this is actually somewhere where I disagree with a lot of fans of this game, and I know I'm going to get some hate, but hear me out. Personally, I felt like one of the aspects of Valkyrie Chronicles that I li- I disliked was uh, basically the, the little meter you have in the bottom, right? Because you'll move your character, and the meter goes down. And sometimes you're like, can I get over that bush, or can I get to that spot and like um, take cover? And then you'll get mm-hmm. there and you'll run out of juice and you're like, God damn it, I need to take a second turn with him. And so right. at least when the when you had like a grid base, you would kind of know where the character is going to stop no matter what before you made the move. I like that better. Um, I wish they would just, like, at least for four or maybe five, they would do like a highlight area where it's like, this is the highlighted area where your, your character, as far as your character could go, you know, around mm. you. That's... 
the only thing in this game that I dislike. I know a lot of people, like we heard Tyler said, he likes it. So I guess it's more of like guessing, I guess. I, maybe they're better at it than me. I sucked at it, though. And I always got like, uh, <laughs> sometimes I got killed and I had to restart levels. But what are your thoughts on Valkyrie Chronicles not using a grid-based design and uh, telling you how far your character can move before their gas runs out? Um <laughs> I, I think it's unique. I, I kind of liked it. Um, I think without it, the game would have been a very standard SRPG. Having said that, I do feel you on a, on some of your complaints there. I think the game probably needed a little more AI in the sense that it could tell, you know, like obstacles or things that are within your radius and maybe give you a little extra boost if you're trying to do something, mm-hmm. um, just so it would feel a little less cheap. Uh, but then again, it would that would require it to know what are obstacles and like what how far you're intending to go. So it's like the the game would have to think for you, which is kind of impossible. Um, yeah. I I'll admit I have not played four all that much. Does four improve it at all, or is it kind of same old? This it's pretty much the same. They kind of added okay. more like. Um classes and stuff and more like story elements like um some of the side characters get their own like mini episodes that you could play right. as and, and yeah so it's like they went more in on the characterization they went all in on the like getting more classes and all that so it is okay. bigger and better but the gameplay is basically bread and butter valkyrie chronicles i gotcha yeah um talking uh okay now i lost my spot again while we talked Every SRPG is basically defined by its class system. In more traditional games, uh, it was someone with a sword, an archer, etc. In Valkyrie Chronicles, you start off with five basic classes. Scout, which is the guy that can move the most. Not that much firepower. Uh, Shock Trooper, which is uh, heavy armor and he only moves so little and he has a submachine gun so you have to be close to uh, fire. A Lancer, which is an anti-tank unit. Engineer, which could uh, fix your tank, that you uh, your main tank. And a mm. Sniper, which, I mean, it's pretty much we know what a Sniper is. At a point, you get to level 5, you get a elite classes, which give you more unique classes, like class upgrades. And you could even get a Flamethrower for some of your units, which is pretty cool. Uh, the class system in Valkyrie Chronicles really made it feel unique to other... Uh, Japanese SRPGs, according to not uh, Nanbo or, or Namba or what was his mm-hmm. name? Uh, no, no Naka. He talked about it. Uh, he, I have a quote here. I just didn't put his name on it. Uh, he talked about it, the gameplay aspect of the game. He said basically, uh, for example, people who are familiar with RPGs know that if you're going to cast a magic spell, you can do it. You can do it from the rear of the party. If you're going to fight someone with a sword, you need to be up front. But in a, uh, but if it's a military weapon like a gun, what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed <laughs> to go in there? Oh, and what are you supposed to do when you have a bazooka? You just uh, you can't just replace the magic with the gun or the sword with the bazooka. So we had to reconsider the entire logic of the gameplay itself. That was wow. part uh, that that was the part that we spend the most discussion on. How to logically reconstruct the gameplay. Uh, when you played the game, did you notice that the game stepped away from traditional standpoints of magic, swords, and such? 
And what did you think of the class system in the game? Like, it's not something you think about when you play it, in my opinion. Like, I didn't think about no. it until I read this. I was like, you know what? You're right. Like, Shining Force is pretty obvious, right? Like, you have a formation of your party to maximize combat. This one, there's not really anything like that. Right. Yeah, no, I, I did notice that. I mean, I did and didn't notice it. Uh, it w- wouldn't really make sense to put that in there. There were kind of elements like that, like that blue glowy lady. I forgot her name. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. But really, you know, like if you're going to put in that setting, there's only so much that you can do. You can't really be like, hey, guys, it's World War II and everyone cast spells and there were wizards. Um, yeah. So that makes sense. But I did, I do like, I like in general when RPGs and strategy RPGs take the expected fantasy elements but remove them and apply them to things that make sense within that setting. And I know that sounds like something that's super specific to this game, but I have seen that before. Um, like, what what is there? There's that that really popular one, Mother? Mother? Yeah. Right? Earthbound? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, like, I have, I'll admit I've never played it, but I've watched people play it. And I like that. Like, I like when you step outside of the norm. Um, another game would be like uh, Rent-A-Hero. That one, too. Mm. There's elements that they take that you would find in a traditional, like, action RPG or something. And they, they twist it around and make it work for that setting. And it's just, it's so much fun because, yeah, like, why does a whole genre, like, RPG need to be fantasy-based? And I guess... You know, strategy RPG, by and large, it relies on battles, but Mm -hmm. it's very rare to see something like what Valkyria Chronicles represents, so I like that. Um, I mean, it's not like anime girls and giant mechs, (laughs) so uh, nothing against that, but it's it's refreshing, is what I'm trying to say. I I have to agree. I, I like this class system. I didn't really think about it, but it really does make you use the levels better. Like, there's such more things you could do. Like, they'll add, like... Places you could go up with your snipers. Uh, so you're always looking around the level and you're like, okay, where can I place my units? Sometimes I would play like the right. let 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 them run into my guys. Like, oh, I'll just set up a little like fort here. If they come – because last time I played, they always came through this little spot, right? Oh, now I'm setting up two guy, two submachine gun guys right in the front. So right when they peek their head through the thing, I'm, sh- I'm just going to kill them, right? So it made you think <laughs> yeah. stuff like that and like – things like that it also made you i don't know take more risk in my opinion because i didn't know anything like when i play shining force i always have a magic guy behind me and then the sword guy in the front and some sort of format while i slowly chunk away at the map this one kind of made me think differently i think they did a good job um let's talk about uh more gameplay uh producer uh nonaka also talked about the idea of the action portion of gameplay saying we wanted to add Something that has more emotional into the tactical RPG genre. Rather mm-hmm. than you being a god and you moving chess pieces on board, we wanted the player to t- to be in the battle and feel the tension. To be afraid of, of your enemy shooting back at you. Nonako would go on to say that the team played different builds, but by the end, the only way to get the feeling and tension of battle was to make it third person by saying, All of the changes were made at once. I had the first version of the game, which we built, 
We played it, and it was a regular tactics RPG. No one was happy with it. <laughs> we discussed all the changes that we needed to make, and because we all wanted it to be like third-person action, we discussed how all the maps needed to be 3D and have ver verticality. And then those were all implemented at once. So we had a big, cha uh, a big change all at one time. Um, hmm. I will say that this is a small team. I think he said in an interview that it started off as a small team and it ended as a small team. So uh, do you think it's third-person movement, taking cover, setting up shots, really made the gameplay more immersive compared to Shining Force 2 or Fire Emblem or even Advanced Wars, I guess? I, I definitely think so. I think when you're putting someone right... Like, you would see those overworld maps, but then once you're put there in the action, um, it really becomes all about that single character. It's not as though you play the game as one character, and like they said, you're not a god. So no. you really are kind of like... It's, it's a rare case of jumping around and playing all these different characters. And, you know, interestingly enough, uh, the only other genre I can think that does that constantly, and it's a genre I very rarely play, is sports games. So this mm. is really, uh, I guess, like the closest you could get to a sports game without playing a sport. Um, just because there is no main character, but you are every character. Um, I also think the fact that when you die, you die it makes it very kind of scary to play, which war is scary. So, you know, you do get attached to some characters. You might go in and go, I really don't want to lose that, like, goofy-looking guy. He's funny. I want to keep him around. And then he dies, and you're like, whoa. Yeah. He's gone. Oh, yeah. And you have a little it, funeral in your backyard. De I, definitely, uh, I definitely play the game. When I first played it for review, I took a long time because... I, every time, if I had to lose someone, I was like, "Up, oh, restarting the game. Got can't lose them. Sorry, I just not <laughs> not gonna happen." Um, mm -hmm. But later on, I played it, and then I sacrificed. <laughs> I sacrificed people. I mean, it's what it is. You can play both ways. I just, uh, we'll talk. We'll talk more about the characters when we get in the next part. But the last bit of uh, gameplay was this thing called headquarters which was a hub where the characters could visit random things that gave you... Well, I'll talk about some of the stuff. Like, mm -hmm. they had a... Uh, they had, I guess I didn't have a picture of it, but uh, they had squad barracks, which you could check your soldiers' stats or potential potentials. You can also customize your soldiers. A command room where you could check your roster, team composition, and you can also check out new recruits here. The training field, which lets you level up your classes. This game, you leveled up classes to get new weapons, so everyone got it. It wasn't, like, individual. There mm -hmm. was also a drill, drill sergeant here named Calavaro Rodriguez, very Hispanic. Uh, the next the next part was the R&D facility, where you'll get some sweet-ass upgrades to your weapons, armor, and even tank parts. Castle Front Street introduces Elliot's underground newspaper called The Writing on the Wall, which basically reports your battles as they happen. So you come back from a battle and she'll be writing about the battle and how great you guys were. This aspect sort of reminded me of Skies of Arcadia's reputation system, but in the form of a newspaper. Uh, the War Cemetery, this is where you could visit your fallen cam uh, comrades. If mm -hmm. one of you, obviously we talked about it, they die, they die, they end up here. And there's a guy called that you meet sometimes called um, what's his name the uh, elder gen oh aged gentleman and he uh -huh. and you could and you could exchange exp for like a uh, for orders in this game 
since uh, the main character is the captain, he could give out orders like, you know, people get plus 10 uh, armor or whatever in your team, everyone. And they're pretty powerful. So to get some of the more rare ones, you have to visit the War Cemetery. But I've heard there's like an RNG system, which is like random rules. So sometimes you don't get some of the good uh, the good commands. So you have to keep on coming back during the chapters. Um, and then there's the Audience Hall, which is the last tab you unlock in the headquarters. Basically from chapter 9 forward. Uh, this is where you could get the royal weapons and more powerful upgrades. But... Um, uh, the headquarters, okay, so one thing a lot of people complained about when this came out was that you couldn't, when you went to the headquarters, it was just menus, right? It's like old RPG, this is typical in SRPGs, basically, where there is no town, no 3D town like Final Fantasy VII right. or anything. It was just menus, and then you go to the menus, you read, a, you go and you pick, it's basically a, a fancified menu. People were saying that this should have been a town you walk into and explore, like Skies of Arcadia, which would yeah. have been sick, obviously, but like we said, a small team, uh, they focused their budget. I personally didn't really mind it, but uh, what are your thoughts on the headquarters mechanic when it first came out? Did, were you one of those, uh, I want to explore the world of, uh, <laughs> of Galleon, Gallia? I, I wouldn't go that far, but I would say that given the Skies of Arcadia uh, experience that came into this game, I would have liked something like when you got your own ship and you kind of explore it. Like, I'm not asking for a town, but it would be nice to just have a small little um, hub where it's like the barracks and like people hanging around and you could talk to them and then you could walk over to the cemetery. Like, nothing big. Probably something as big as like a um, adventure field in like Sonic Unleashed, you know? Uh, yeah. Or I like think that would be kind of fun. So Shining Resonance had something like that, and that game was like right. super low budget. Even though it was like the town was dead, it was just a few NPCs or whatever. I'm surprised they, they didn't just do it. Like you would think it would. I mean, they did the menu. I think they just did it because that's the way SRPGs usually are. But it would have been sick if they just went and made a small menu. But uh, let's talk about some of the uh, one of the big. Let's talk about the characters finally. One. I'm not gonna go through every character, but because there's a lot of them, but. One of the big aspects of the game of, uh, was watch you, uh, watching your characters and picking your characters to uh, fight in battle. Uh, this game uh, focused on Squad 7. Uh, they had personality traits. And, and they even had minor ongoing storylines. So if your characters, if they died, that story's dead. They ain't going to come back. But they, they would like splice like, oh, this character played a prank on this character. And they gave them some characterization sometimes. But if they died and that girl ain't going to get her butt slapped by one of the male characters. Sorry, dudes. <laughs> um, I feel like a, a, a lot of the characters in this game kind of reminded me of Skies of Arcadia. Uh, reading mm -hmm. more into it, producer Nonaka actually confirmed that uh, Skies of Arcadia director Tanaka was the main writer for the characters. <laughs> so it kind of makes sense. He said, the main writer for the scenario and all characters was director Tanaka. And then we also have a team that works with him. We really wanted to get a sense, sense of urgency and also realism of when someone in your team uh, is hurt and lying there. Do you want to go help them or do you want to go with your mission? Do you want to help them and risk your own life or do you want to leave them there and go on? In order for the player to feel a sense of urgency and, identi and identify the gameplay, we felt that it was necessary for each character to have their own unique personalities their mm -hmm. own unique features and 
And that's why every one of the characters has a different setting, different personality, different strengths and weaknesses, as well as very different, different visual designs. Uh, before we get into some of the minor characters, let's talk about, let's go over some of the Squad 7's main characters. The game has a total of 57 characters to choose from in your squad, so obviously we are not going to talk about 57 characters. So, first we got Wilkin Gunther. Wilkin is the main character of the story. He is the leader of Squad 7 and is the son of the great war hero from the first European war. Wilkin is in his early 20s, has brown hair and gray eyes. His personality is that of dad of Squad 7, a <laughs> kind person uh, that is concerned with the squad's morale. He is like Vice or Sonic, very confident and determined to complete his task in battles. Welkin also likes and has a passion for natural science, so much so that he is nicknamed Dr. Nature. Um, Alicia is the love interest in the story with Welkins. She's a very smart, understanding, and professional, profess, professional so soldier. She is uh, stoic, and basically uh, in one part of the game, she arrests... Welkins because he's writing on a notebook and she's like, uh, you're a spy, dude. Um, she loves baking uh, and something she fell in love with when she was an orphan and a traveling baker gave her food and she uh, bread and she became obsessed with baking. Uh, then we have Isara Gunther, which is the adopted sister of Welkins. As we discussed pre previously, she's a Darkson and her character arc is basically showing the racial conflict within Europa. She, uh, like mm. stated before, she's 16 years old and is considered calm and kind-hearted. Even though she's uh, discriminated against, she's still proud of her heritage. She is very much Tales from Sonic, as she also likes to tinkering and engineering. Mm -hmm. I guess she's like Sonic if they all hated foxes, right? Like <laughs> Sonic's like, ugh, I hate foxes, but you, you're pretty good at all, you know, fixing the engines and stuff. Can you imagine? Uh, Eggman's like, ugh, Foxes are the worst. <laughs> anyway. Well, he says uh, he hates that hedgehog. That's pretty... Yeah, that's true. That's that, pretty that, wrong. That's, I don't know, man. Hedgehogs are pretty nice people. I'm never, I've never been wronged by a hedgehog. Me uh, the next, that You're going to love the next one. You know in Japan sometimes uh, a character that's like very old, like Largo Potter here. Yes. <laughs> no relation to Harry Potter. Is basically right. considered the grandpapa of the squad since he is the ancient age of 36 years old. That's uh, ancient time in Japan. You know, in RPGs, it's like 14, 14 and 16 is considered mature. Uh, 17 through 22 is considored dad. Anything past that, you're like dead. Are you, are you dead? That's in, you know, in Japanese terms, right? Um, while wow. Largo doesn't particularly like Darkson's, he isn't openly prejudiced against them. He later warms up to Isara. Uh, Largo believes the only way to judge a soldier is based on experience. He is lukewarm to Welkin because he thinks that he was born to the role because his father. But supports him as you win battles. Largo also loves veggies, which he calls bombs packed tight with all kinds of important nutrients. <laughs> <laughs> what a weird thing to like, right? Then hey. we have we have uh, Br Bridget, uh, oh Rosie Stark basically nothing to do with Tony Stark is a 23 year old shock trooper who is known for her rough personality, acting considerably non feminine. 
she's openly racist towards Darksons and referring to them for uh, in their slur. The slur is dark hair. Sorry, guys. Oh, great. And in hating Welkin's sister, just because she's a Darkson, obviously. Rosie also dislikes Welkins at first, but he's because he's a schoolboy, which is in Sega terms, that's the worst name you could be called, schoolboy. But accepts him after uh, he beats Largo in a bet. Rosie has admitted she likes singing, and used to sing in a bar before the war. Also, she picked up the habit of playing cards at the bar where she used to sing. While we are still missing a lot of like the main characters, there's like four or five more like that you meet later on. But these are the first four characters right. that they have characterizations. It gives you a taste of how they set up, you know, the world building in this game. What are your opinion on these characters? I mean, like they obviously gave them like even though Rosie is like she's loud, she's not feminine. I guess that I don't think that's a bad thing. But uh, she's also racist, obviously. But she likes right. veggies and she sings. You know, it's like okay. <laughs> I mean, it's not like people that are bad are always all bad, right? But right. What are your thoughts on the characters right here so far? I, I like them. What I like is that you know, like for me, the most appealing character design is Rosie, but she is the least appealing character, character wise. <laughs> yes. But I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a kind of a realistic thing. I mean, you look at celebrities out there where it's like oh i love them they're so cool in this movie they're a badass and they're like oh they said what on twitter <laughs> you know so it's <laughs> oh man i mean it, it's Bridget like would totally be canceled is what i'm saying mm-hmm. oh yeah it's like the the woman from star wars or or even like well the uh, funny thing the funny thing is she's a shock trooper it says here rosie is and yeah. uh the character from star wars was a shock trooper too exactly um, <laughs> Thank God Rosie didn't have a uh, Twitter account, right? Like, she yeah, right? canceled quick, right? Yeah. yeah. This war, yeah. she would have not been in Squad 7. They would have to cancel her out of it. Um, nope. Uh, while they're, okay, so we talked about that. Um, like I said, you could pick from 57 different squad members, each with their own personality, to give them life. I picked a few minor characters just to show people, like, what to expect from these minor characters and what kind of characterization they have. First, we got Eddie Nelson. She's the most popular of the minor characters. She's a 17-year-old shock trooper who is very popular in Japan. So much so that she got her own DLC pack called Eddie's Mission. Entered the (laughs) Eddie Detachment. After the game came out, Eddie is a self-proclaimed actress who grew up in a tiny rural town. She plays the stereotypical hot-headed character that that turns warm and soft as you know her, you know? Um... She uh, she's basically rivals with Rosie the racist. <laughs> After she heard her uh, sing, she decided that she could become a bigger star than Rosie, but then found out she was tone deaf. So now she's trying to become a full time actress. She yeah. Right. Can you imagine? You're like I'm better than you at singing, and then she's like, Oh no, I'm tone deaf. I had to do something else. Sucks. But that's kind of the comedic aspect of Eddie over here. Right. Um, then we we got. Walter Nash, a 33-year-old Lancer. I guess all Lancers are older, right? So, like, if me and you were in this world, we'd be basically grandpas and we'd be Lancers. Um, (laughs) He's a Lancer that looks gruff but enjoys cooking and tending to gardens as a hobby. He is often seen helping uh, Alicia... he, he's basically baking bread on his dog days, and due to his wild mood swings and self-confidence that uh, he, uh, that could come and go at any moments, since cooking helps, he wants to start a restaurant after the war. 
We got Mo and then the, the last one we got Motley Leonard, which is a 16-year-old scout that considers himself a child of the Great Plains, growing up around animals. An, enc an encounter with a stag longhorn has left him deadly afraid of pointy objects. He believes time is money, thus he is incapable of sitting still. He was hired by a delivery as a delivery man uh, in his off time because of his quick feet. As you could tell, like you can see little things here, like if you like nature and you're in a nature battle, you want to take someone like Walter Nash. If you want someone like uh, that is faster or whatever, but there's not that many pointy objects in this map, you probably want uh, Motley. You know what I mean? So they mm -hmm. had a little mm -hmm. personality traits. Like he likes the open field, so if you're in an open field he gets stat boost. So I thought that was cool that they did that. But I also want to mention one last bit. Um, if I don't mention it, I'm going to not hear the end of it. But basically the game features characters from Skies of Arcadia, which we, uh, two of them being playable, uh, Ika and uh, Vice. We, uh, and they're considered childhood friends that came from a far off land. You can hear us talk about this cameo more in the Skies of Arcadia episode 42, which you can see in the mm -hmm. information of this this video. The mm -hmm. other side, uh, when the game came uh, when the game came out, one of the aspects of the game I appreciated is that they added personality to most characters, and those personalities changed what missions you take them on and how you manage your team. What is your opinion on the characterizations? And is that too much work for someone like? Going through menus and looking through their like personality traits to see which one works for one mission. I mean that is, but that kind of comes with the territory, uh, you know. Especially with strategy RPGs, I feel like mm. there are people who only play those sometimes, especially in the PC world. So I, I don't have a huge problem with it. I, I personally, though, think a lot of the menu stuff could have been implemented into the gameplay and accessible there a little easier. Um, you know, maybe give the whole game a little more of a video game feel rather than uh, uh, spreadsheets and uh, yeah, pop-up menus you know, and stuff, you know. That's one, that's one of the things I'm surprised they didn't do or, like, in, like, the sequels or, like, four. Like, I'm surprised they didn't do, like, hey, this time you could explore the town and the town has a little, you know, adds more characterization. Right. Open it up, uh, yeah. Yeah, like, I'm surprised, but... Sega seems to be like, oh man, we're delivering what one did. I think that that the game was on like PSPs. That when the fourth one came out, we were just so happy that it was back on consoles. That we were like, okay, whatever, guys, just it's back on consoles. Thank God. It's like that. Most people didn't really think about like expanding what, what number one did, at least with the that the menu stuff, you know? Right. But but let's talk about the music, which is pretty unique in this game. Sega's always known for having great soundtracks, obviously. Even if a game is bad, the soundtrack's probably going to kick some ass. Uh, but usually, the uh, it's always artists within Sega games that do, that do music. It's always in-house. Not always, but most of the time, right? For Valkyrie right. Chronicles, Sega hired composer Hitoshi Sakamoto, who is best known for his soundtracks for Final Fantasy Tactics, a legendary SRPG for the PlayStation 1, and Final Fantasy XII. He reached mainstream success with his composition skills in the Super Nintendo SRPG Ogre Battle, which got a Saturn and PlayStation 1 release later. In an interview, Sakamoto talks about how he became involved with Sega and Valkyria Chronicles, since he doesn't have very many Sega musical credits. 
he says, actually, I first met Mr. Nanaka, as a, who was the producer, five years ago. When I met him for the first time, he told me he wanted me to compose a game which was going ahead into pre-production with a small team. It seemed to have been aimed towards a portable game console at the time, but the game received such favorable review at Sega Management. So later, so year, a few years later, when we started pre-production as a formal team, I was really surprised that the game became ma a massive project for the PlayStation 3. Uh, personally, I think he nailed the soundtrack for this game. Uh, I, I really, really like the, the main theme. Like, even since I first heard it, I was a big fan. It has very cool booming uh, drums and a very military-style nostalgia, you know, feel to it. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's listen to some of the main uh, theme. If I could, if I have the window open, let's see. Oh, this is, yeah. All right. Can you hear it? Mm-hmm. I'll skip a little more. So, it's a very orchestra soundtrack, you know? It's what you kind mm -hmm. of expect from like epic RPGs. He, uh, right. he talked about, uh, now I'm looking for my notes. Uh, he basically talked about how he wanted to, uh, well, here, here's a quote he said about this track that he made. So, firstly, I wrote a theme of love. And a, and a main theme to symbolize a view of the world. I then gave it a little military color so it could uh, act as a axis between two themes. Apart from that, I didn't make any eccentric things. I just wanted to uh, write music to give a dramatic human impression. Uh, do you think that uh, he accomplished in making a theme of love like... Uh, with some sort of war flavor? I thought that the drums... Like, it sounds epic and like yeah. haunting but like the drumming of the you know the drums really give it that military uh flavor in my opinion but uh oh for the, sure i mean you know you, you see a lot of military movies especially around certain periods and often the music you will hear for that movie is not music of the times mm -hmm. um maybe a rare uh example where it's it's it is of the times is <laughs> Uh, like Vietnam movies, every single time when you cut, you'll see the helicopters and you'll hear the do 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 But in this case, you know, I guess playing taps, the you know, like that. Yeah. That's of the time. I actually had Risk for the Sega Genesis, and that had. Little drum beats too. It was kind of fun. Little fifes and drums. It's worth checking out. But it, it fits. It's fitting. But I also like that epic uh, sort of. I guess the theme of love that you said. Yeah. So uh, it, it's I, I it's fitting. That, it works. I have no problems with it. I would say this is one of those soundtracks where, like, I don't know. To me, like these epic soundtracks, you know, like I can't listen to them in my car. I'm not jamming to it in my car. Like there's some Sega no. soundtracks where I'm like, Matt can listen to this just jamming in my truck. Like it's a band album, you know, like, um, Jet Set Radio is one of those, you know, where you just put it in. It's like electric music, you know, like you're listening sometimes to like the gorillas or something. So, right. you know, this is, this is definitely something that works with, with the soundtrack. Would I listen to it in my free time? maybe a couple of tracks here and there but very rarely not something i like more like i don't know i'm, I'm very like 
I listen to a lot of like bands, actual bands. I'm not that into listening to uh, video game soundtracks in my free time, except for a few handful ones, like Streets of Rage or something like that, like the classic that gets stuck in your head. At least in my head, I'm like, let's go. But yeah, this right. is. I like this in the game for sure. But let's talk about the promotion. Sadly, I will say the promotion for Valkyrie Chronicles was super weak at the time. Sure, Sega showed it off to the media. I even went to an event back then. But commercials, ads, well, Sega did run some promotions and even aired an anime uh, to get people to buy in. Uh, Destructoid ran an ad contest uh, to promote the game, letting readers submit their own made ads. We will be... uh, uh, The grand prize was given to a guy named Califax who did this. Who did this. uh, I don't know if you guys could see it in, in, in... on audio, can you tell them what it is? It's like, are you seeing the, the picture? Yeah, I, I see it. Yeah, it's um, like a hand in a flower. Is that what we're talking yeah, about? Yeah, and there's like a uh, a tank, like the so, tank marks. Yeah, it's a like a fallen growing. soldier and then a, f- a flower grew where the tank went over, which is kind of, you know, like impossible because it should have destroyed the flower, but the flower either grew after word and the body's been there for a while uh or the you know it's symbolic probably <laughs> yeah, it's symbolic in the game too i think but let's like mm. w- this guy won number one so this guy won a like uh that uh valkyrie chronicles the art book where it has all mm-hmm. the art design work and some other stuff i don't know if that book is rare or anything but this is the design he made and then the second prize was this this ad that this guy edited together without sound half of the ad and then the mm-hmm. other half of the ad has sound and it was so bad that I was going to play it at first but then I was like it's not worth playing because he did a terrible job I would have edited a better commercial so too bad I didn't know how to edit back then or I would have been winning these uh, destructoid right. uh, uh, contests but uh, a year after the release of Valkyrie Chronicles in 2009 Sega launched a Valkyria Chronicles anime, loosely based off the video games we are discussing. The series mm-hmm. was produced by A1 Pictures, and the series lasted 26 full episodes in 2009 and ended with two OVAs in 2011. We're going to be looking, I think, when you look at an anime's opening, we know if the anime is good or not, right? JoJo's Bizarre mm-hmm. Adventure, sick opening. Everyone knows that. Everyone so let's look at this anime's opening and get some, uh, what do they call those things? Uh, copyright strikes? Um, yeah, let's do it. Oh yeah, typical anime. Very typical. As you can tell, uh, they didn't really mimic the like canvas stuff that well. At least not here yet. Right. It's like just the anime with a little bloomy, like bright anime contrast up baking bread characterization done that music they're yeah, all their little smiles gonna... does she do a smile she go mm. oh tails <laughs> wow the guy that likes to read the smart guy that guy's my age <laughs> the racist <laughs> no not the racist the other one oh you're Largo right yeah. He's a grandpa. Her boobs bounced. I saw that. Woo! Come on. You gotta like that, dude. That's pretty sick. No. Boobs <laughs> should be firm and just... Like rocks. Like that. Yeah. 
So they also introduced new characters in this franchise, uh, the anime franchise for just this world. I, I, I thought it would have been interesting if they like incorporated the the anime characters into the uh, remake, just to mm -hmm. have you know. But I, I'm pretty sure that the the, the guys at Sega are like, I didn't write those characters; they don't exist. But yeah, no. th this was meant to... I mean, would that have sold you? I don't know. I don't think they incorporated the watercolor look. It should have been something they should have incorporated, in my opinion, for this. Was uh, that ever released in the West? I don't know if they f released the physical version. I never really looked for it. You think... I don't, know, I don't think so. Amazon has it for obviously insane inflated prices that aren't realistic. Oh, yeah. But there's like a Blu-ray you know, I'm looking at. But yeah, thousand. Looking at that though, it looks it looks cool, and it actually just to talk like talk Sega Talk Shop for a second. It makes me want to do more uh, Sega Talk episodes centered on anime adaptations. I think it would be a lot of fun to do Power Stone, to do uh, Panzer Dragoon, the OVA. So I, I want to keep that in the back of my mind. I think that'd be fun. Yeah, I'm looking at it and I'm like, damn, the the box set, one thousand one hundred and fifty bucks. Oh, it can't I'm adding gotta, to cart. I'm adding to cart. I'm I'm done. I'm oh going to Japan. Ah, my credit card. Next year, I'll I'll buy it. If I see it, uh, I'll buy it. And if I see two, I'll buy two. I don't know. If it, I, I've never seen the anime to be honest with you. I know that Sega was doing a lot of animes during this time. They also did some for like the Shining Force uh, book games. Some of them they, they didn't even come here. They made uh, they made uh, animes for it. It was weird. I'm this, like, even Sands of Destruction's got a uh, anime. That's crazy. Nobody's even some, heard of that game. Wait, I'm looking at this. Is this a bootleg? So it's anime DVD Valkyria Chronicles Volume One to Twenty Six, and plus OST edition English subtitle. Probably it looks shiny. It looks like a bootleg, but it says it has. English subtitles, Chinese and English. There's five available for twenty two fifty plus four dollars shipping. Fuck it, let's buy it. It's gonna be burnt on the DVD, on the DVD. We can always wow. watch them uh, pirated like uh, bad children. Oh, is it okay? I was um, all animes online. I'll do uh, some things, research. So. I'll see if this is worth getting. Oh, it has the soundtrack disc. That's kind of uh, cool. That is pretty cool. Let's talk anyway. about the legacy of this game. Mm. So while Valkyrie Chronicles had got high critical scores, the game did just okay in sales. Uh, I, I assume this is the story of all Sega's cult classic games, correct? Uh, the game garnered a 86% Metacritic. IGN gave it a 90% stating, with such a robust collecting of extras to back up an already impressive mission, uh, mission roster and gripping hmm. story, Valkyrie Chronicles comes highly recommended. Destructoids gave it a 85% saying, Valkyrie Chronicles is a visual feast. It maintains a high level of difficulty in a new, rather innovative renewal of, of the tactical genre that provides enough of a challenge to entice fans of the genre of the genre but not all, so stuck in its ways to keep uh, normally advised gamers away. The lowest critical score was Edge Magazine at 70%, which isn't really low at all because if you played uh, <clears throat> Sonic games, you'll notice that some scores are like three, and you're like, what? For this game? I mean, it's not the greatest, but three? Are you serious? All right. But uh, 
Edge Magazine said, Simple and elegant. It takes influences from Konami's Ring of Red and even Pandemic's Full Spectrum Warrior and elaborates Hmm. on them to create something unique and interesting. Since the game didn't get enough sales, the next two entries were made on the PSP, which basically meant that it would not sell in the West due to (laughs) high piracy of the unit. Right. The second one sold so poorly here that the third Valkyrie game never got localized. VC3 came out in uh, 2011 and sort of had Sega put a stop to the franchise until 2014 when we saw the Steam release of Valkyrie Chronicles. And I was actually surprised it was 2014. Um, Wow. Looking at the Steam page, it has over 8,000 user reviews, very positive reviews. Mm -hmm. Um, According to Steam Spy, it sold over a million units. This led to the re-release of the PS4 and Switch game, which... uh, actually ran on the new engine that powers valkyrie chronicles 4 uh but we're going to be probably covering (laughs) these games in the future i'm actually more excited to play valkyrie chronicles 3 because i've never played it so if i'm doing an episode i have to play it because i mean at that point even if it's through emulator you know right i just want to get through it but uh that's all i have to say about valkyrie chronicles is there anything you want to say before we read our patreon messages i think it's probably i mean we're gonna we're already looking back on it over 10 years but i think 10 years from now we're gonna be looking back on valkyria chronicles just as fondly as people looked back on skies of arcadia and i think we're gonna be saying oh i want another one. Oh, i wish they made more of those you know what i mean it's like oh yeah at the time people complained about it but now we feel fond about that mm. and Ten years from now, I think we're going to be doing that again. I also um, think now is the time for Sega to really give it kind of the Yakuza treatment and give us two and three on modern consoles, along with four on um, PS5 and Xbox Series X. You know that thing. Um, so I just, I, I just think it's silly. I don't. I mean, I don't want to get into it. I don't know how well uh, uh, the fourth game four did. sold. But, yeah. like, you put four on the box. Look at that. And this is after the company was, like, scared to say Seventh Dragon was a sequel. Um, you know, by... You, you mean uh, Seventh Dragon's VFD... Uh, uh, what was it called? It was, like, some long Very title. fine day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but, like, w- w- this is a big deal. Like, the last time they did this was Sonic the Hedgehog 4. Like, when you do that, it's telling people, oh, this is... This is a game that has a legacy, but it's a legacy that largely does not exist here. Like, imagine if Yakuza skipped a game. It just makes no sense. So, my thing is, give 2 and 3, like, a combo release. Even if it's a very, like, low-effort port, I would be Mm. fine with that. I just would love to see it. Uh, Um, Square has been doing that, like, releasing their uh, PSP games on Steam. So, it's like... People are okay with that. They're like they'll done. They understand that they're playing a PSP game emulated on PC. That that's okay, right? Or or um, uh, Kingdom Hearts has been amazing at doing that. I mean, I don't own any of them, but they're like, you want a mobile game? You want a 3DS game? We'll throw all of that on modern consoles and remake it so you get the story. Like same here. Like you have the engine, you have the 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 tools to make it. So just. Give us Valkyria 2 and 3 and then jump in and give us 5. 
You know, like, I, I just think it was kind of a misstep to jump to four without really reintroducing people, which is what worked so well for Yakuza, which was going back in time with Yakuza 0 and then releasing re-releases. It just, it was so smart, and I'm kind of amazed that they didn't do the same for Valkyria Chronicles. I think that's what they should have done. And uh, my, do you, my two I mean, <laughs> Valkyria Chronicles 4 came out in 2018 on the 10th anniversary of Valkyrie Chronicles. Do you think that, like, we haven't really heard much about the franchise? Sega hasn't really, like, made memes about it, you know, like, or tried to establish right. some sort of presence for the franchise online? Do you think that they're kind of, like, done with the franchise? Or do you think maybe we'll see some sort of continuing aspect of it in the future? I mean, we'll see. I, f I feel like there's so much they're focusing on right now that we might not hear anything of it. And considering we're jumping to a new console, it would be probably a little difficult for them to reintroduce the series without also having to port everything. Mm. So, you know, it's it's tricky. I would love to see more of them. I'm thankful for what we have, but I just I, I feel like there's such a gaping hole on my shelf when it comes to a spin-off the first game and the fourth game like it just it just looks like here it is it looks weird you know <laughs> and you can and you can't put the PSP games even if you import the third one and get the second one because the PSP right. case is super ridiculously small you know and thin exactly so it's just like, like a weird. little tiny little guy yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> um so should we get into the yeah. Patreon memories for sure Absolutely. Okay, so if you support us on Patreon at any level, you get to have your memories shared at the end. And as evidenced in previous episodes, you can say anything and I'll read it. I mean, there are <laughs> limits. Yeah. I don't want to get canceled. I, yeah, don't um, say I suck but, either because yeah, that's exactly. the same as getting canceled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so first off, uh, we have Daniel Andres, a longtime commenter. He goes... Ah, yes, Valkyria Chronicles. <laughs> I remember picking this game up for the PS3 years ago. It was back in either 2014 or 2015. And, well, sadly, I couldn't just get into it. I wasn't really a fan of the gameplay or what was necessarily going on, but with the recent PS4 re-release that came out, I might consider giving it another go sometime. Also, I do think that it's pretty amazing that Vice returned in this game. So there we go. If you don't like the game, comment too. Uh, we have. If you don't like it, buy it anyway and keep it in your shelf so you can support the game. <laughs> like I do. Like I do. Um, uh, next we have new new supporter Bobbert Kostend. Bobbert. Uh, I played Valkyria Chronicles 4 plus all the DN DLC on the Switch because I like turn-based RPGs and I heard a lot of positive reviews of the series. When I heard the first game was being released on the Switch, I got it day one and loved it. I like the gameplay and side characters, even though VC4 did a better job on both, but I do prefer the story over the first game. Uh, mainly the romance between Welkins and Alicia, Rosie's issue with the Darksons, and the whole war itself. Here's hoping that 2 and 3 get remastered as well, like I've been saying. Yeah. And I'm trying to give Valkyria Revolution a shot right now, but it's Oof. not connecting with me. And I'll admit it's not connecting. It never cancel connected with me. Yeah, cancel that game. <laughs> Forget it existed. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then we have SegaFan 1989. Valkyria Chronicles is my favorite Sega series they have made ever since 
going third party. I actually went and bought a PS3 just for the original game and a PSP for the second one. I played a fan-translated version of the third game and enjoyed it. I'd do that. Yeah, yeah. I also got the premium edition of the fourth game sitting here on my shelf. I have it too. I have the the little tank uh, set up. That's pretty fun. Um, I love the characters and the stories. They are written so well, especially the first game. I really hope we get a new entry. Sadly, I think Valkyria Revolution releasing here in the West really hurt any potential of getting new fans with the fourth one, and that's that's a whole other conversation to have. Um, but yeah, that that's it for the memories, and that's all I have to say. Go get your vaccination, though. That's all. That's my little PSA for the what? end of the show. Wow! Get a shot. Don't get shot on the battlefield. Get a shot, get a shot in the arm. That's, that's me. right. Thank you guys for <laughs> listening to Sega Talk. If you guys want to support us, we appreciate everyone that uh, tips us on Patreon. Uh, I guess we'll catch you guys on the next episode, which is a going to be one of the biggest, most yeah. difficult episodes because it's going to be before my birthday, so it's going to be massive. I get, I'm going to get yeah. a picket, so you know it's going to be something very interesting. You guys, are you've been shocked. researching it for months. I know the notes. My whole life. I've been reading. Some would say, yeah, yeah some long. would say my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> some would say my whole life. <laughs> All right, guys. Catch you guys on the next episode. Bye. Bye. We hyped them up, dude. The hype is real. <laughs> <laughs>